Well, Father, we come before you this Christmas morning and we just glory. And we say glory in the highest. We come in great gladness this morning as we ought to do with joy filling our hearts and the joy of everything that comes with Christmas. And so we come with great gladness in our hearts. Yet we also come in view not just of gladness, but in view of weakness. That we are weak, and we gather in weakness, not in strength. And we have a Savior who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is. And so, Lord, you know all these things. You know our frame, you know us, and you came and you dwelt among us. And so we come this morning beholding the great love of God. And so may we behold you, and may we behold your great love this morning. And may we not just simply see it, but behold it and respond to it and glory in it. And so help us, we pray, as we turn to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this Christmas morning. There's something especially edifying about having a personal journal. It might include all variety of things if you've ever had one of these, but it might include you know, your thoughts on a given day, stories that you may have from the day, maybe your prayers that you're lifting up before God. Or it might even include reflections on God's word as you're reading it and pondering it and thinking about it and you write about it and how God is working in your heart. Now you might call it all variety of things. You might call it a journal or a diary or something else. But the practice of journaling, it has been around for a very, very long time. And journals, they have a unique way of giving us a glimpse into history even, into a person's life, into a person's thoughts, into a person's experiences, into a person's life experiences across the, the stream of history. And of course, you likely know of some of these that you've come across along the way in, in history, and one of these that you will very likely recognize right away when I say it is the Diary of Anne Frank, you know, written during World War II and the Jewish Holocaust. And we can just think about how significant that diary is and how deeply that and her thoughts and her experiences not only what we learn of history, but we, we learn of her and her experiences. 
or going back even farther than that, even much farther than, back than the diary of Anne Frank, we have the diary of a Christian woman named Perpetua, which you may or may not have heard of, who died in the arena for her faith in Jesus Christ in 203 A.D., so very far back. And we get a glimpse into her life through her very own words. Incredible, right? You can read the words of Perpetua from 203 A.D. today. So in one part, she wrote about her father and how her father demanded that she recant her faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is what she wrote there, her own words. Father, I said, do you see this vase lying here, for example, this small water pitcher or whatever? And he said, I see it. And I said to him, can it be called by another name other than what it is? And he said, no. In the same way, I, un- I am unable to call myself other than what I am, a Christian. And then my father, angered by this name, threw himself at me in order to gouge out my eyes. But he only alarmed me and left defeated along with the arguments of the devil. I read that to you because it gives you a glimpse, doesn't it? It gives you a glimpse into a real person who really lived and who really breathed and who really experienced what she just wrote and you just heard in 2022 from her life. As we look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, you know it's not a journal. It's not a diary but it's revelation from God. And it most certainly gives us a glimpse, not into some tale that men made up, but into real events, even the event of events. It tells us the true story of Christmas. And so let's read These true words here then, beginning in verse 1. May God help us to hear and to receive his word this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth 
to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, these verses here in Luke chapter 2, they don't arise out of nowhere. So at this point, Luke has already told us many, many wondrous things. So the angel Gabriel came to Mary, this lone and obscure woman in this lone an obscure place, Nazareth. And he told her, someone no one would know, that she will bear the Son of the Most High. And also by this point in Luke, John has leapt in the womb of Elizabeth after hearing what? A voice. Mary's voice. And Mary has exalted God with a song of praise, the Magnificat. And John the Baptist, at this point, has now been born. So then, after all of that, we come here to our passage this morning. Only seven verses. Yet behind these verses are moments that change the world forever. And ironically, as all that is going on, the world has no idea of what is happening. And all of it begins in these verses with a decree. Yet as we see that, we need to see more than that as well. We need to see the decree behind the decree. So Caesar Augustus, or Octavian, the great nephew of Julius Caesar, he called for everyone within the Roman Empire to be registered for a census in order to ensure that everyone was taxed. The government will not let anyone go by without getting their money from them. And then we're told in verse 2 that this was the first registration while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, as you read all of those details of this account, or perhaps you're hearing me saying all that, and maybe you just kind of went to sleep for a moment, well, hopefully not, as you hear all those details But as you hear all that, you might miss something. You might miss why those details matter. They matter because these things really happened. You aren't getting a glimpse here into kind of this tall tale that someone made up. You are looking in on history, real historical events in this world. The same world you walk in and live in with the dirt and with the soil 
and with life and with real people who walked and talked and lived, even as you are doing this very day. So they did also. But that's not all we see here. That's not all we're seeing here. These things really happened, and God ordained all of it. God ordained all of it. In the real world, this world, the one you're living in right now, God planned all of this for his glory. Rulers, emperors, Caesar Augustus lived and breathed at God's bidding. Did you know that? Now this really shouldn't be a surprise to you. Because this really isn't something new. It's not something new in Scripture. Consider what we see in the book of the prophet Isaiah. There, before the king, the Persian king, Cyrus, before he ever lived, and just to put that in perspective, now hear me here, just to put that into perspective, that is 150 years before Cyrus was ever born, God declared of Cyrus, even naming him, before he was born, he said, this Cyrus, 150 years, not even on the radar screen of history. He says, Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. And so we see here also, God is over rulers, raising them up and bringing them down, working that he would fulfill all of his good purpose, all of his good will, even Sovereignly working that they in all these things would bring about his word. Fulfilling even what Mike read a moment ago from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. That Mary would not give birth in Nazareth. Small detail, right? Well, what if she did give birth in Nazareth? And we still have Micah 5 too. Not a small matter, is it? But God moves all people in history that she would not give birth in Nazareth, but give birth in Bethlehem. What, what wonders in his word there are for us to behold. God, he moves history, he moves rulers, he moves peoples to fulfill his 
word. And he is still doing that today. And as we look on here in Luke, in the gospel of Luke, we are meant to see that here. You are meant to behold the Lord who is over history, who is over empires, and who is over all things. Do you feel that right now? What is that? That sense that Things are just going by as we are gathering even right now. What is that sense, that thing that is going on right now as we are meeting on Christmas Day? What's time? Time is going on. It's continuing. It's pressing on. Yet it's not purposeless. It's not random. It's not spiraling out of control. Friends, that is not God's world. This world, that is not the way it works. That's not the way it is. There's a common idea found today among movies and shows and even something that people often are saying and you will likely encounter it or maybe you already have and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Saying things like this. Well, the universe, it has a plan for me. Ah, the universe is against me. Listen to what the universe is telling you. Will you do that? I mean, that's, that's like almost in every movie now and show that you may watch on, on television. What is the universe telling you to do? And then they go on to find out. Well, all of that is just a society that is lost. It's a society that is searching for more when it does not have more to give. It is drawing from the air. And it is drawing from a bankrupt worldview that does not give answers to their questions. Friends, the universe is not telling you anything. It won't, it can't, and it is not. But right now, here on Christmas Day, in this church, God is. And God is through his word. And he is telling you that he is Lord of the universe. And that he made all things. And he made you, not without purpose, but for himself. And he's directing you not to look to the universe, but to look to him. More specifically here, 
He's directing you to his son to see who he sent into the world to save you, to see the birth of the Son of the Most High. What we have here in these verses, only in a few sentences, is incredible. A husband, a wife, a baby, and in all this, something happens that has never happened before in all of history. A baby boy who is fully human and fully God. God with us. Yet as we see this, Luke does not stop. He wants us to see more. This baby, this child, is of the house of David. So as we see here, Joseph, in observance of the decree, he rises up and he goes to Bethlehem, his ancestral hometown in fulfillment of God's word. Yet even as you see that, Luke wants you to see more than just that. Now, that, God's word being fulfilled, as in Micah 5.2, Bethlehem, that's significant. Yet he says, Luke says also here, that Joseph was of the house and of the lineage of David. Now the mentioning of David, King David, It's not incidental (laughs) here in these verses. It is a headline for us. It's saying, and the headline says, In this child we have the promised Davidic king. The promised child of 2 Samuel chapter 7. That child, the promised child of Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 6 through 7. Praise the Lord. This is him. And the headline goes on and it asks, don't you see this? This is God's doing. See what your God has done. That's the point. That's what Luke as headlining for all of us to see. Yet we see even further that this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. How do we see that here? Like, well, I don't see that. I mean, wasn't all that back in chapter 1, verse 30 to 33? I mean, I don't see that here. Pastor, I mean, what? (laughs) Well, yeah, you don't see those exact words. But Luke adds here intentionally these descriptors in verse 5. Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
Now, why would he mention that? By now, Mary and Joseph, they were likely married. And so Luke is saying, in so many words, just to put it plainly, that they had not yet had sex. That's what he's saying. He's saying that Mary is still a virgin. The child that she has is not Joseph's. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. So in other words, this is God's doing. Do you see what God has done? Yet Luke goes on even further in verses 6 through 7 to say one more thing of this child. That he was not born in a mansion, but in a manger. He was not born in a mansion, but in a manger. Now, you might be tempted at this point to say to yourself, now that's, that's sad. That's just sad. How terrible that is that that was the case, that the Son of the Most High would be born in a manger. But we need to see that that is not the point of why this fact is put here and is mentioned here. Yes, it was a manger, or more exactly, it was a feeding trough. But the banner is not how sad. The banner is what we have heard already. This is God's doing. See what your God has done. That is the point. Even more, if you can fathom it, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, He was in this also. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, planned and purposed that this is exactly where Jesus would be born. Not in a mansion, but in a manger. The will of God was here. Not a mansion. But this lowly place, this humble place, a manger. And so you are meant to see the humble estate of this child. He chose this. He chose the manger. See what kind of savior he is. He took on flesh, and he was born in a manger, and his whole life, even all the way to the cross, would be a continually over and over and over again, humbling after humbling after humbling. 
And perhaps even Jesus had Luke chapter 2 in view when he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. As you see all of that, see why. See why he did all of that. He did it to save sinners. He did it to save you. You. How prideful we are as sinners. And really, we are nothing. Right? <laughs> Yet how humble he was. And he is above all. Amen. Why did he come? Not to redeem the righteous. To redeem the lost, to redeem the broken, to redeem the drug addict, to redeem the prostitute, the murderer, the thief, the adulterer, the sinner, you, and me. And it all really happened. You could have stood there at the manger. You could have felt the cool air. You could have smelt the hay. You could have heard the wind. You could have seen and beheld the baby in the feeding trough on that day savior of the world in that humble estate. And that is what Luke wants you to see. It's what God wants you to see. To behold the birth of the humble, sovereign savior. Amen. The Lord of the universe took on human flesh to save you. As one of the newer Christmas songs exhorts us, even as we sang it last night, and it exhorts us so well. Oh, come, all you unfaithful. O come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. O come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come, see what your God has done. Christ is born 
for you. Oh, come, bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken, come, taste of his perfect love. Oh, come, guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come this Christmas morning, may we see what you have called us to see. May we see what you have planned and purposed that we would see this Christmas morning. That we would hear your word. We would not say that our response is for someone else or response is for someone else. But Christ came for us. So help each of us right now to respond to you. Whether it means turning for the first time this morning to Christ who came, believing, repenting, trusting, and giving our whole selves to you. May we do that. But may we certainly and surely worship and behold our humble and sovereign Savior who came for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.